Hello, San Diego biz babes. Your host, Paulina Salazar, welcomes a podcast where passion meets income. Here we aspire to inspire. For more information, visit SanDiegoBizBabes.com. Joanna Baker here being interviewed by San Diego Biz Babes. Um, I'm very excited to share this piece with you guys. I am so sorry if there's some type of audio issues here. Just for a quick second, we had a little mis- disconnect there, but we got it all figured out. So I hope you guys enjoy, but for the most part, we just kind of break down really what goes on inside the stomach. Um, I did ask a lot of questions from followers that I had, so lots of questions answered for me. I'm huge advocate on health. I think that, um, you know, Western medicine has kind of um, not ruined necessarily, but it definitely has made us think a certain way. And I feel like eating healthy and kind of hitting the root of the problem is a little bit more important. And so she really breaks down the importance of gut health. And so this is a great podcast for anyone trying to be healthy or at least just a little bit more knowledgeable on what they're consuming. So thanks again for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy. So let's just dive right into it. First and foremost, thank you so much for doing this for me. I know you're super busy. You're a very successful woman. Yeah. Um, So thanks for having me, Paulina. I'm really excited (laughs) to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I guess just to start off introducing yourself, you know, kind of just talk a little bit about how you became a dietitian and basically your journey to that because I'm very proud and amazed of your Instagram account. It's very helpful and educational and I'm all for um, that. And health oh, is, thank you. Yeah, of course. And health is huge for me. So please just kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. No, me, me too. It's, it's something I'm super passionate about. Um, I, I guess my journey, so when I finished high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I sort of, I spent a year mucking around doing not much. And then I kind of figured that if I did a nursing degree, then I'd always have a job and I'd get to work with people. So I kind of sort of fell into that nursing and I spent, um, I graduated as a nurse. I spent a good sort of 10 to 15 years working mostly um, as an anesthetic nurse and operating theatres and anesthetic and recovery room, which was really good, but it probably wasn't something that I was extremely passionate about. It was, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And then uh, back in the, a long time ago now, my, my now 12-year-old son, when he was born, I took a year off work with maternity leave. And then when I went back after he was born, I felt really disillusioned with what I was doing and that so much had changed in my life. And then I went back to work and everybody, it was the same people doing the same thing. And I sort of felt it was, I was feeling, I guess, a little bit stagnant. So... I started reassessing um, what I wanted to do with my life, what I was passionate about. Did I want to stay in this job or did I want to move on and do something else? And at that point, point, I was sort of, one of the things that was really bothering me is that I was seeing all these patients coming to theatre to have operations that were preventable with lifestyle intervention. And I'm mm. sitting here thinking if, if we sort of got in early and improved their health early on, then we could actually prevent the need for these operations that they were having. Mm-hmm. So, and also at the same time, I really I've always loved food. I've always loved cooking and shopping and being around food and being involved with food. So I sort of thought if I took my name to me and wanted food, 
diet fit for me. So that was when I decided to go back to university. And um, when my son was a preschooler, I did my diet, I did a master's degree in dietetics, which is what eventually qualified me to do a re- be a registered dietitian. So that was, well, I've been a dietitian now for five years. I had already been working in the hospitals for 15 years at that point, and I didn't really want to go back into clinical dietetics and work in the hospital system again. I wanted to get out into the community. So I decided to go into private practice. Um, I've had gut problems myself and irritable bowel syndrome and food intolerances for my entire life. So that sort of seemed like a nice fit for me. And, and it seemed to re- work well and that it was something that I understood and had a lot of interest in. So I started working more in that sort of food intolerance and irritable bowel syndrome area. And it's just sort of taken off from there. And now I, I, I love what I do. I love going to work every day. And yeah, does that? Yes. That's amazing. Your entire story is beautiful. I mean, I feel like for me, I feel the same way. I kind of want to get to the root of the problem and food tends to be the root of the problem most of the times. That's also why I have a lot of problems with like, you know, Western medicine in general, because I feel like it's a lot of like the coding. And so food for me, that was like a huge way to kind of avoid any other medication as I grew up because I played sports. So whether it was ibuprofen or, you know, Vicodin, because I just blew out my knee. So it was like either extreme to little, but food is amazing. So can you kind of elaborate why gut health in particular is so important? So gut gut health is a really, a really popular topic at the moment. And it's really fascinating. I, I guess a lot of what we know about the gut is at this stage is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, we know that the gut microbiome, so I'm Usually when we're talking about gut health, we're talking about the gut microbiome, which is a little collection, a community of bacteria that live in our large intestines. So we've all got about one to two kilos of bacteria that live in our large intestines. And they're really important for a lot of fat functions. So they, first of all, they're our first line of of defense against pathogens entering the body. So they they form a bit of a physical barrier there. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. But they're also involved in immunity and they uh, produce vitamins, they produce hormones. Um, 95% of your serotonin is produced by bacteria in your gut. So serotonin is your feel-good hormone. So we know that they're involved in mood. We know that they're also involved in things like anxiety and depression. And we know that um, gut microbiome is changed by stressful events in people's lives as well mm-hmm. there's also really good indications that gut microbiome are involved in diabetes they're involved in heart disease and they're also um, implication in body weight as well so we've seen there's been quite a few animal studies where you can take the gut microbiome of a skinny mouse and put it into a larger mouse and the larger mouse will become skinny and vice versa so that, that's really fascinating as well I guess the thing is with this gut microbiome is that we know that only one third of gut bacteria is common amongst other people, whereas two thirds of your gut microbiome is actually really individual to you and you're the only person in the world that has those bacteria. So gut microbiome is really, really different from person to person and it also changes through life. It's affected by diet, it's affected by 
obviously stress levels, it's affected by exercise, and it's affected a lot by um, environmental factors as well that tend to change and alter gut microbiome along the way. At this point, science knows that it's important. Mm-hmm. We, we know that it's altered and that it changes with different things. And we know that there's certain foods that we can eat that tend to nourish that gut microbiome. But at this point, we're able to uh, take a sample and we're, we're able to map someone's gut microbiome. But we don't actually have a gold standard to compare that to because at this stage, we know that everyone's gut microbiome is firstly supposed to be different. Secondly, we know that a lot of bacteria is a good thing. And thirdly, that we know that a lot of different kinds of bacteria are a good thing. So and that, that's, I guess, one of the things that's really interesting. There's also a lot of science going on in this area and we're learning a lot and we're learning it very quickly. Um, so I'm really excited to see what we learn in the future about this area because we know it's important. So we're sort of all sitting here waiting and watching the space to to find out more about what we can do with this. Yeah, I I was actually just recently reading into like the microbiome uh, like diet and it's basically the 21 day thing where you eliminate everything and then you gradually, you like eliminate, I guess, all all kind of bad food, I guess, not bad food, but you know, big groups of foods. Um, yep. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, one of the things that we know in terms of, oh, oh, look, one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about um, posting on Instagram and on Facebook and getting out there on social media is that there is so much contradictory information online and, and there's a lot of information online that doesn't really hold a lot of evidence. Um, in, in terms of diet, one of the key things that we know, remember what I said that abundance so a lot of bacteria or abundance is good for gut microbiome and different types of bacteria so diversity is good good for gut microbiome and one of the things we know about diet is that the more diverse your diet is the more diverse your gut microbiome is so as soon as you're eliminating foods or food groups you're reducing variety which is then going to reduce the variety of your gut microbiome as well so i'm not a big fan of elimination diets unless it's absolutely necessary to use one for a medical reason but for general health and well-being you usually the more variety that is in your diet the healthier your gut microbiome is and we also have a lot of nutrition research as well over the years and, and the one commonality between though that nutrition research is that Lots of plant foods are a good thing. So as soon as we start eliminating particularly plant foods, we reduce the nourishment to our gut microbiome and it's not going to be diverse. It's going to lose its diversity and it's going to lose its abundance, which is important for gut health. Yeah. What What's like the relationship between, because I see gut health and I think probiotics and then I just recently saw yeah. like what prebiotics are. What's the difference between prebiotics and probiotics and probiotics that's a really good question and and it's one that um uh, we, we hear these words but what actually are they so a probiotic is a live bacteria and you can consume that live bacteria either in a tablet or a capsule or it occurs sometimes in food. So yoga often has probiotics in it, um, things like kefir, kombucha, those sorts of foods. Miso has a lot of probiotics in it as well. So when you consume a probiotic, it's 
providing a particular strain of bacteria which travels into your gut. It basically sets up camp in your gut and starts living there and starts having an influence on what your gut microbiome looks like. Um, one of the things about probiotics is that because everybody's gut is so individual, choosing a probiotic is really tricky because how a probiotic behaves in your gut is going to be different to how a probiotic behaves in my gut. Mm -hmm. So often choosing a a probiotic can be quite an individual thing. Um, And it's generally, in in terms of if I'm going to be recommending a probiotic, I generally will recommend one based on somebody's gut symptoms. So if someone's having trouble with bloating or constipation or diarrhea, we know that there are certain probiotics that can help with these types of symptoms. So when I'm recommending, I'm sort of recommending based on that. If if you're somebody who's relatively healthy and and you're not having problems with constipation or diarrhea or bloating and you're just wanting to get some more probiotics into your body, then I would be suggesting using uh, different types of foods that contain probiotics because that's also going to give you more variety in your diet as well. So you're kind of hitting two birds with one stone if you're using food. It's going to be cheaper as well than a pro than buying a probiotic capsule. So you'll save money on mm-hmm. that too. Prebiotics are a little bit different. Um, what prebiotics are, they are foods that we eat that don't get digested fully. They stay in the digestive tract. They travel into the colon. And in the colon, they actually provide food and nourishment for the probiotics that live there. Mm. So the probiotics are the campground. And the prebiotics are the food that's feeding the the campground. So if your diet is rich in prebiotics, then your diet, then you're going to be feeding and nourishing a lot of different gut bacteria, and you're going to be keeping them really healthy. So prebiotics are really important. Uh, Probiotics are important in terms of that diversity, and prebiotics are important in terms of nourishing that microbiome. What about like, this is maybe a little random, but like absorption rate with like, for example, I have some vitamins that are just like probiotic pills, you know, in the morning. But I guess my biggest concern when I was buying them was just like, I know the absorption rate is different on all of them. So do you have products that maybe I can put in the show notes for people um, that are listening just so that they know, you know, what what good products are out there? Yeah. So obviously, if you're going to be buying a probiotic, you want one that's actually going to survive the stomach and make it to the intestines where you want it to get to. Um, Because if it never actually makes it there, then it's kind of pointless as well. what I, what I, so we, we do, like I said, we do have some probiotics that do have some evidence base. So those are the ones that I'd sort of be starting with. Um, certainly in, in terms of what's available around the world. So there's VSL3 is what it's called in America. Vivomix is what it's called here in Australia. Um, there's a, and that's got a lot of research behind it. So that BSL3 tends to be a fairly good one. There's Simprove, which is available in the UK, which tends to be quite a good one as well and has some research behind it. Uh, MetroAlign is another one that has a, quite a bit of research behind it. And I, I tend to use MetroAlign quite a bit. I find it really, MetroAlign, really, really helpful for people who are constipated. So if I've got someone who's struggling with that constipation, then MetroAlign is often going to be one of my first choices if, we're, if we are looking at probiotics. Got it. So I, I wouldn't usually use probiotics as a first line. I'd start by saying, can we, uh, do we need to look at their fiber? Do we need to look at some other interventions first? And then if that's not helping, I'd say, okay, why don't we try a, a probiotic supplement to see mm-hmm. if that's our answer? So I, I guess my policy is food first. 
So if we can manage it with food first, and they use supplements only if we can't manage it with food. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as far as like, is there a difference between a male gut health and a female at all? Because I know in the beginning you said two thirds, you know, is, is basically up to us. And then one third is overall, everyone's the same pretty much like females and males. Um, I, I think it's just pretty much that everybody's gut health is different. Mm. Obviously, if a male has a different diet to a female, and that diet is going to have an influence on gut health. But it, it, in terms of are they actually different from gender to gender, I think it's more about it's different from person to person rather than from gender to gender. Got it. Okay. And then yeah. just for the sake of these live people over here, thanks for tuning in. Um, don't forget to just ask questions here because we are more than welcome to asking them here and then answering them as well. So um, as, far, <laughs> as far as yourself goes, do you have a favorite kind of like an easy meal that is your go-to for gut health or what's like your most healthiest meal that you could think of personally that you like? Um, in terms of what I like for gut health, um, variety. So eating different foods. That, so there was a study that came out, oh, it was either last year or the last or the year before, and they found that people who ate thirty different plant foods in a week had a much more diverse and abundant microbiome than somebody who only ate ten different plant foods in a week. So in terms of what I like to do with my meals to support my gut microbiome is I I tend to, I like to have lots of different plant foods on there. So I'm including lots of different colourful vegetables. I'm including whole grains, so things like um, whole wheat or brown rice, uh, legumes, oats, so all sorts of different grains, all sorts of different colourful vegetables. Um, I'm including nuts and seeds as well and just getting as much variety into a meal as possible and perhaps not eating the same meal every day, so changing my meals from day to day. That, that, keeps, in, that keeps interesting your food, but yeah. it's also that variety is really good for your gut microbiome as well. Yeah. I never really thought about it like that, but I guess, yeah, if you have more variety, you're less picky. And you're just kind of thinking maybe more along like the whole food side of things, then I guess it would build up some type of good bacteria also. I didn't really think about the good bacteria here because I'm like super limited. So it's really interesting to hear the, these things. Yeah, it is kind of a funny world at the moment, isn't it? I, I think we're all more limited than usual. And I guess sort of considering our situation at the moment, using things like canned legumes, canned vegetables, frozen vegetables, frozen fruits, those sort of things that have that longer shelf life, mm. that, that's always a good option as well because you're still getting that variety. Yeah. What about like right now during these times, quarantine, people are limited. What would you say is like something easy to just healthy I don't know. What would your be your recommendation as far as like canned foods go for this time right now? Um, definitely, I'd be including legumes in there. So chickpeas, lentils, kidney beans, and those sorts of legumes. They're a great source of fiber. They're they're um, amazing for the gut microbiome and amazing for health overall. Um, when we look at so you've, have you heard of you've heard of the blue zones? They're sort of five areas around the world where the people tend to live unusually long, healthy lives. 
So there's uh, um, there's an area in Italy, there's uh, an island in Greece, there's uh, Okinawa in Japan, and then there's uh, there's a community up in Scandinavia, and then there's the Loma Linda people in uh, California, I think they are. And what's really interesting about these communities is when you com compare these communities to the rest of the world, people tend to live much longer and much healthier lives than anywhere else in the world. For example, in Okinawa, they have 80% lower rates of cancer than somewhat than anywhere else in the 80? world. So, and they've, they've got more people that are living past 100 than anywhere else in the world as well. So I think sometimes when we're looking at diet and lifestyle and what we can do to improve our overall health, we can take a lot of lessons from these communities. And, and one of the commonalities in diet between all of these communities is they all eat legumes. And they all eat quite a few legumes. So if you're looking at that Mediterranean diet around Italy and Greece, there's lots of legumes and pulses and fish and fruits and vegetables in there. In um, Okinawa and Japan, there's lots of tofu and soybeans. Yeah. And they're eating lots of legumes in, in that sense. Um, the Loma Linda people in California, they're actually vegetarian. So they're replacing all their animal foods with these legumes. So that tends to be that sort of commonality amongst those. We know that legumes are really good for the gut, so they're almost like this little uh, power of wonderfulness. Someone. Uh... So, yeah, I've, I've been doing legumes and stirring them through some vegetables. I might put um, maybe some barley. So I really – barley I, I really love. It, it's a nice sort of it's, – it's a starchy and it's satisfying and filling, but at the same time it's – quite high on fibre and good for that gut microbiome as well. And, and it's not highly ultra-processed like some of those other options. Got it. Someone asked, is pinto beans included in that group of yes. good? Yes, okay. absolutely. Pinto beans can have the thumbs up. Okay, cool. I've always... I've always related beans to farts, and I've been, like, away from them since. <laughs> childhood, I'm a Mexican, or at least grown into, like, a Mexican culture. So, like, my mom always has beans out, and I'm just like, can you yeah. cook something else? Because, no. Like, so I haven't really had beans for years now, because I've just, like, she beans yeah. out. But... Absolutely. And beans have that reputation. And what, what's interesting, there's actually a really good reason for that. So when your gut microbiome feed, they actually create gas as a side effect. And that, that gas is going to create wind. So if, if you're farting a lot, that's actually <laughs> often a reflection that you're nourishing your gut microbiome and you've got quite a healthy diet. Wait, what does it um, mean when you fart? What does it mean when you fart and they don't smell? It's just gas. Like, is that, do you know that? Because that's really what it, it kind of made me do. It doesn't smell, did you say? No, it doesn't, it doesn't even have a smell. It's just like air. Perfect. Is that healthy? That, that's ideal. You've got that gas because you've got bacteria feeding and it doesn't smell, so it doesn't offend anybody. So that, that's what we're looking for. That's kind of the ideal situation. Okay, cool. Um, Good to know. If you are someone that finds that you do get a bit gassy with things like legumes or you're someone that um, finds that gas makes you feel a bit bloated and a bit uncomfortable, we often find that those canned legumes are better tolerated than the dried ones. Oh. So... Um, the molecule in them that contributes to a lot of that gas tends to be water-soluble. Mm -hmm. So they will leach into the liquid in the can, you drain them, you give them a really good rinse, and, and they tend to be less gas-creating than some of the dried ones. So that, that's always an option if the gas is bothering people. Got it. Yep. I definitely uh, 
guilty of that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Not real>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll kind of like, we'll cut it in the middle to go, because I want to get a chance to ask these questions um, that people had asked. I had posted earlier um, in one of the questions, uh, one of my best friends loves hot Cheetos. And so it's a spicy food. So spiciness, I know, is like irritating to the stomach. So she's asking yeah. about ulcers and hot Cheetos in specific. <laughs> Shout out so to I, I'm not aware of any research that indicates that something like spicy Cheetos or hot Cheetos would cause stomach ulcers. Um, the lining, uh, the pH in our stomach is fairly acidic. And we do have a lining around our stomach around our stomach that helps sort of protect the lining of our stomach. Um, spicy food is a gut irritant, though. We, we find that a lot of people who eat a really spicy chilli or a curry or something will find that they get a bit of uh, gut upset, a bit of reflux and a bit of an acidic feeling in yeah. their stomach after that. Um, that would be fairly common. Uh, we, we find that some people do uh, do feel a little bit better if they're limiting these foods. Certainly, if somebody has got reflux, we'd be saying that these are some of the foods that if you were to manage the reflux, it can be a good idea to limit some of these foods. Um, anything really in moderation, I know it's not the sexy answer, but anything really in moderation is not bad, but too much of anything is not good either. So yeah. I, I guess it's about finding that balance. balance between a comfortable amount that you can yeah. eat without causing problems and not too much. Okay. Thank you. That was an amazing answer. Um, another question was, let's see here, is staying with one product better than having multiple at once? Uh, I'm assuming we're talking about probiotics or yes. supplements Probi with that question. Probiotics. Yeah. Um, so the thing with pro, so the recommendations for probiotics, so like I said, because our gut bacteria is so different from person to person, Sometimes finding the right probiotic for your gut can be a little bit of trial and error. Like I said, sometimes we can um, ha have a guess at what's going to be a good one for you based on what sort of gut symptoms you're living with or what you want to achieve from that. But the recommendations are that if you want to trial a probiotic, then you trial it. Some probiotics can take about four weeks to start working. So we say that someone should trial a probiotic for a minimum of four weeks to find out if it's a probiotic that works well with their gut. Does it help them feel better? Do, do they have more energy? Is it helping uh, keep their digestion comfortable? Um, at the end of that four weeks, if they think that they're feeling better with this probiotic, then we actually say to stop the probiotic and see if your digestion deteriorates without it. And, and if you actually deteriorate without it, then we say it was probably helping you and you should start taking it again. Um, if you stop taking it and nothing happens, then it probably isn't doing very much and it would be better to then try another probiotic to see if a different probiotic is best for you. Once you find a probiotic that suits your gut and helps with your digestion, then we would say that's the strain that suits your gut and it's a good idea to keep taking that one. I certainly wouldn't be trialing multiple different types of supplements and probiotics all at the same time because if they do start helping, you don't know which one it is that's helping. Yeah. If you find that they actually, your gut health deteriorates with all these supplements, you don't know which one it is that's doing it. So um, my mantra, I guess, is to be very structured, be methodical, be systematic with trialing these things one thing at a time, find out how one thing works before you move on to the next thing. Okay. 
Um, another one kind of relating to that is how do you know you're overdoing it? So you had mentioned it's better to just keep limited with whatever it is you're trying as far as probiotics go. Can I give a rough example though? Like for example, what yeah. I'm doing, you tell me if this is too much. So I take a probiotic in the morning, like a little pill. Um, and yeah. then I have a probiotic shot. It's like a, it's like fermented something. It's like in a little shot. I don't know. Yeah. Like really good reviews. Um, I have a kombucha a day. And what else is that? And then I just kind of try to be mental as far as like, you know, um, kimchi and like anything that's kind of fermented. I just try to have as much. And then I do put like the kefir in my smoothies. Um, But that's about it. Is that, that's okay? (laughs) Yeah. So I I guess in terms of good gut health, what we're kind of looking for is that we we want um, digestive comfort. So if you're overdoing a lot of these probiotics and prebiotics, we'll find that people, their digestion gets a bit upset and they get uncomfortable. Um, they, they may feel bloated or uncomfortable from it. Um, and, and that would be an indication that you're probably overdoing it a little bit and it, it might be time to sort of cut back or uh, take do a stop take of what you're taking and what's helping you and what's not helping you. Um I guess in terms of the other area, so I kind of think in two areas. So is it helping you? Are you feeling healthier with it? And if you are not feeling healthier with it, then I would suggest uh, take it away, get back to baseline, and then add things in one at a time to find what works for you. Um, the, The other thing that I always consider as well is whenever we add a food in, we often remove another food because there's only so much room in your stomach. And just like if you take a food away from your diet, you will replace it with something else as well. So my other consideration with if you're overdoing it or not is around what are you missing out on to make room for this? So if you're actually missing out on variety or other foods and food groups because you're having so many of these foods, then that's probably a bit displaced and a bit unbalanced as well. So you you don't want to be having so much of one thing that you're missing out out on something else. It's more about getting that balance and having more variety than anything. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, The last question here, which I really like, is does does your gut... Um, does it have any type of effect to like antidepressants and like medication and like that? Because I know that, or at least what I've read, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of tend to hold your stress in your stomach. And so that kind of like ripple effects into everywhere else. So if you're taking antidepressants, uh, I guess, is there a way to somewhat balance it out so that you're still have a healthy, normal quotation mark, um, diet yeah yeah and that that's a that's a really it's quite an interesting question um we know the medications affect gut health um we know that all medications have side effects as well and gut symptoms are fairly common in terms of side effects from medication so probably the two most common side effects from any medications would be either constipation or diarrhea so um we, we know that that happens a lot um interestingly so antidepressants and things the gut the gut has its own nervous system um, it's called the enteric nervous system and that's why we often refer to the gut as the second brain mm. um, the gut is the only um, organ in the body that can actually function without the brain overseeing what it can do it, it, it actually does its own thing by itself whereas all your other body systems the brain actually oversees it and makes sure that your heart's beating and it makes sure that your lungs are breathing 
but the head brain doesn't have to do that with the gut. The gut can do its digestion all on its own. Um, we know, like I said earlier, 95% of your serotonin, which is the feel-good hormone, is produced by the gut brain. Mm-hmm. Um, dopamine is also produced in the gut brain, and dopamine tends to be that calming hormone as well. Um, we also know that a lot of people who have gut problems um, or irritable bowel syndrome, those sorts of things, a lot of that is to do with almost that the nerve endings in and around the gut being oversensitive and over-responsive. And, and it's that oversensitivity, they're almost responding to normal digestion as if there's something going wrong or something worrisome here that needs fixing because there's sort of that hypersensitivity. Um, so that, this question sort of got multiple answers depending on what's going on with the person themselves. Um, the third and final thing that I think about when I'm sort of looking at um, things like antidepressants is in terms of somebody's mental health. So um, we've got gut health, we've got physical health, we've got mental health and emotional health and spiritual health. And all of those things are equally important to someone being healthy. And I think if your mental health is suffering, then you're not healthy and you need to do something about it. So for some people, um, antidepressants and uh, are necessary to keep them healthy overall to support that mental health. Um, obviously, well, the, the other thing in terms of people who have irritable bowel syndrome, there's actually a lot of research that low doses of certain antidepressants can actually help with irritable bowel syndrome and decrease that sensitivity of the nerve endings in the gut as well. So um, if we can reduce the irritable bowel syndrome, then that helps with mental health as well. So those things are really, really important. Um, medications will affect gut microbiome and different medications will affect it in different ways. So some of them may um, alter gut microbiome in terms of they may deplete some of the bacteria or they may reduce diversity. But I guess what I'm essentially saying at the crux of this is, um, yes, they may have negative side effects, but they also are there for a reason and they have positive influences on a person's health as well. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of about finding that balance between what works for you to keep you holistically healthier. Yeah. And then, so that would be kind of like four weeks, right? Like you said, you should stick to something for at least four weeks to see it do something. That's kind of the rule. The workout if it's working. And and certainly with things like antidepressants, they're they're, they're prescription medications. So working closely with your doctor um, and a psychologist in terms of that is is important to do as well. Okay. Thank you. That's pretty much all the questions. I think we only had one. Actually, we have one, two over here. Um, One of them was, what's your take on oatmeal during this time? It's just something easy. Is it good for fiber? Does it depend? Is it better to get like sprouted oats? Like what's your opinion on oats? Um, All oatmeal is awesome. Okay. So oatmeal is really, it's it's high in soluble fiber. It's got beta glucans. It's good for cholesterol. It's good for the heart. Um, those fibers are really good for nourishing that gut microbiome as well. So I, I think that oatmeal is, is an awesome meal and it's something that at this time it's shelf stable. It's easy to come by and it's an easy, easy meal. Okay, cool. Um, let's see. Actually, that reminds me. So a morning, so... What's your take on this? Is not on the questions, but intermittent fasting because that kind of I don't know if you've if you've looked into that at all. Um, but as a dietitian, uh, yeah, what are your I've thoughts actually on that? got a blog article on intermittent fasting. Oh. Um, it's 
people do intermittent fasting for a variety of different reasons. Um, in terms of gut health, so I work a lot with people who've got irritable bowel syndrome and food intolerances. So a lot of them are managing uh, gut symptoms. Um, in terms of what the research says is that people who've got gut symptoms and gut irritable bowel syndrome or food intolerances, they do better with smaller, more regular meals because often the sheer size of a meal can put pressure on digestion. So um, if, if we're managing um, irritable bowel syndrome or something like that, then I would be suggesting to uh, keep away from intermittent fasting because it, it prevents you having those small regular meals and it interferes a little bit with that gut functioning. Um, so it's not something I recommend for that group of people. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of weight loss, so a lot of people will do intermittent fasting for weight loss. Um, when we look at the research of uh, weight loss diets, and this includes intermittent fasting as well, we know that um, the majority of diets, if you go on a diet, people will lose weight. Um, and that'll be great. Uh, most diets are not particularly well sustainable because they interfere with people's lives. So they interfere with food isn't just about what you eat. It's often about um, coming together in social situations. It's about celebrations. It's about religious ceremonies. It's about uh, connecting with other people as well. So um, if you've ever been out to dinner and everybody's shared a meal and you didn't want to share the meal, so you've got your own, own little meal over here that's different from everybody else's, that, that puts social barriers up. Mm -hmm. So any sort of diet that can't be flexible enough to fit in to your life and your lifestyle is not going to be sustainable in the long term. Yeah. Um, we know that uh, diets work while you're on them and as soon as you stop following a diet, they stop working and people regain the weight. And the research actually shows that um, most diets by the five-year mark, people would have gained, 95% of people have gained back the weight that they lost mm. and 60% of them will actually weigh more than they did when they started. Um, intermittent fasting, yes, people lose weight initially. At the 12-month mark, it is not superior to any other low-calorie diet. So if you get two groups of people, one on intermittent fasting and one on any other diet, when they get to that 12-month mark, the weight loss is, is not significantly different. I, I guess with any diet, it's about finding the one that works for you, that helps you feel good, that fits into your lifestyle, that is flexible enough to... If, if something like this, like what we're going through at the moment with the COVID-19, um, if your diet's not flexible enough to fit into this, then you're not going to be able to follow it during this time as well. So we need to have a certain flexibility to be healthy. Um, finding the diet for you that you can actually stick to. And, and when I say stick to, I mean stick to it forever. So somebody who loves pasta is never going to survive on a low-carb diet for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So... There's no one answer that's right for everybody. It's, yeah. it's about what works for your needs. It's called balance, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and I love food. I wake up and I think my first thought is what's for breakfast. So I'd be yeah. hopeless with intermittent fasting. <laughs> okay, so down to the last couple questions here, We're running out of time, but it more so just kind of I want to focus on you. So I guess let's see here. What is your future endeavors? Like what's to be expected with your career, anything that you're adding that's yep. cool. I know your social media is pretty good. You got that down. So any other future projects? Um, 
what, what do I want to do? I had lots and lots of ideas of how I wanted to grow my business. And then yeah. COVID-19 happened. <laughs> you and everybody. Yeah. And, and, and that's sort of, that's upset a, a whole lot of things. Um, because I was at the point of growing and um, I've got another dietitian who works for me who is absolutely awesome dietitian and we were starting to look at increasing her hours um, and now because we're all in isolation and I've had to close down all my clinics so I'm no longer seeing people face to face everything is now virtual um, so I, I, I guess my immediate goals are once we actually get past this little hiccup and are able to get back into com the community again is, is to rebuild my business back to where it was nice. um, in terms of my long-term goals, I obviously, I, I want to grow my business. I want to be able to help more people. If I can have more amazing dietitians working with me and that process would be great and that would grow my business bigger. But the other thing that's really important to me, and I guess one of the reasons behind my social media is that there is so much conflicting nutrition advice out there. And a lot of it is what I like to call creative, yeah. which means that there isn't a lot of evidence behind it. So if I can grow my social media more and get more evidence-based advice and more evidence-based information out there so that people um, get, get a noise above the crazy on the internet. Um, I run a Facebook group called Low Fodmap Australia. We've got 20,000 people in there now. Nice. Uh, I initially started that group because I wanted a place where my patients could ask questions in between appointments and get support. And it kind of took on a life of its own and grown from there. But a lot of the feedback I get from that group is how helpful it is to have that reliable information and to have it freely available to everybody. So if I can sort of, if I can give back to the IBS community in, in terms of providing information so that they can improve their lives, that sort of thing is really, really, really rewarding. Yeah. So I, I'd like to be able to do more of that. You know, you lie down in bed at night and you just feel good about what you've done with yeah. your day. It's you, You've done something to help somebody else and not had to, not taken anything in return. It's just been, yeah. So if I can do more of that, it would be amazing. No, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Honestly, congratulations. You're amazing. And I love how you're just kind of like hitting the the core and the root of the problem. You know, it's it really yeah. does start with what we're putting inside our body. So absolutely, absolutely. It's been a long journey for me on a personal level. And I thank you so much for being on my podcast because this was super helpful. And I'm sure all the listeners will be super grateful too. So one of the last things that I do is just biz babe it out. So just kind of shout out anything that you'd like to say if you have products that you kind of want to talk about or just where they can find you on your website, how you work, whatever you'd like to say. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for having me, Pauline. It's been really fun to be here and I'm really looking forward to listening to this. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to connect with me, then obviously my website is www.everydaynutrition.com.au. Um, on Instagram, you can find me at the Gut Health Dietitian. On Facebook, you can find me at Everyday Nutrition and my group is Low FODMAP Australia. So I'd love to connect with people and um, yeah. Be awesome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of San Diego Biz Babes. We really hope you can take something from this episode and grow. If you know someone that could also use this message, share this episode. 
Our guest information will be in the show notes. And for updates on our next podcast and business tips, follow our Instagram at San Diego Biz Babes. At San Diego Biz Babes.